Hey, welcome to In The Shift, a podcast for when life and faith go off script. My name is Michael Frost. How are you all doing out there? My uh, my voice is its getting better. It's not quite as deep and moogie churchy as last episode for those who uh, tuned in last time and got to hear my deep, deep, bassy, raspy uh, version of my voice. It's not entirely back to normal, but it's on the way. Uh, the good news, sun is shining here as I record this, and uh, and I feel like maybe our seasons have gotten a little mixed up. If you lived in New Zealand, uh, if you live in New Zealand or did over the summer, you will know that summer was not really exaggerating. Literally rained the entire time, except for maybe one or two weeks of sun. Uh, it was floods and cyclones and tornadoes, and that seemed to be uh, the summer vibes. And now winter's hit, and it seems to be blue sky nearly every day. It's all very strange, isn't it? And almost like I don't know. Call me crazy, but maybe there's something going on with the climate. Uh, possibly, perhaps we'll have to tackle that on the pod at some stage. Uh, not today, though. Uh, actually, I was at the supermarket with Rufus yesterday. Rufus is our four-year-old, and uh, we were, he was wanting to get something. He was wanting to get something from the shop that we kind of already had and didn't need. And I said, you know, it's good for us to think responsibly about what we buy because we've got to look after our our planet and the world we live on. And so then he said, well, Daddy, I actually had a dream last night that all the rivers, lakes, and oceans all dried up and it got very hot and dry and it was the end of our world. And I said, oh, oh, that sounds intense. How did you feel about that? And he goes, yeah, I mean, it was just a dream, so it wasn't real, eh? I was like, yeah, that's right, it wasn't real. And he said, yeah, although I'd, I am a bit worried it will happen for real. And I thought, gosh, because we haven't talked a lot about climate with him at, at a young age, but he's obviously picking up the vibes, and I thought, that's a lot. That's a lot for a four-year-old to be thinking through, isn't it? Um, Anyway, that's not the topic for today. Uh, today on the podcast, Shane and I have a great conversation with journalist and documentary maker Mark Fennell. Mark and his doco team are the force behind the uh, the new SBS documentary out in Australia called The Kingdom. And and look, I know that there seem to be a, a bunch of docos coming out on the Hillsong phenomenon and its various challenges and scandals at the moment uh, in Australia and North America as well, even in the UK. But I think what was much more interesting about this particular doco to to me, um, and maybe to people who have real experiences in these kinds of churches, is that the focus wasn't really on the, the sort of the big headline grabbing stuff, um, although it does it does sort of touch on some of that stuff. But but the focus really is on the nuanced and, and more complicated reality of experiences within Pentecostalism more broadly in this part of the world, as well as the allure and the pitfalls of the megachurch forms of it. You know, the subtle the subtler forces of coercion, as well as the profound sense of belonging and change that characterize so many people's experience, you know, and if if you're new to the podcast, Shane and I, uh, just over a year ago, began talking about some of the megachurch issues in, in this part of the world on the pod here, on In The Shift. Uh, if you've been following along, you'll be like, yes, we know, we know, um, but it's, you know, it's it's been, it's taken more time than we thought to pick through the nuances and complexities of this. You know, we both had history in these kinds of spaces, albeit, you know, more than a decade Earlier, but but in many respects, the kinds of stories that were suddenly hitting the the mainstream public conversation um, in the news and in, in the work of journalists and stuff like that early last year, you know, there were there were conversations and, and stories that were familiar to us, you know, to our own experiences, but to to many people we knew as well, and and also the themes resonated with a bunch of stuff I'd been exploring on in the shift over the previous two or three years, you know, the way that certain forms of Christian belief uh, have been shaped by power and had the potential to be abused and, and cause real harm. And so 
On the pod, we've been working through a bunch of ways to re-examine faith and belief, to find new ways of engaging in Christian spirituality, to provide some kind of a home or at least a landing place of sorts for people who were struggling to make sense of their own faith. Maybe it was unraveling or in deconstruction or reconstruction or whatever was kind of going on. So so that's what In the Shift has been. And So when a bunch of these stories of, of toxic church systems began hitting the news last year, it really made sense for us to begin tackling the complicated, multifaceted conversation around all of this. Uh, in the previous episode of the pod, we reposted that first conversation from April last year. So if it's a convo you're interested in, you might find that a helpful launching pad into the way we've covered all of this on the pod. If you're new around here, if you're not, you'll be like, yep, been there. Probably don't want to traumatize myself by re-entering that conversation for a second time. Although I do hear from people who are like, listen to that episode five times, which I think, gosh, that's a lot. But it, it kind of speaks to how deeply woven this stuff gets into our psyche and into our kind of soul, if you like, to use that language. Uh, And so that's why it takes so much time often for people to process their way through uh, the kind of murky, foggy territory of, of faith and church experience that can be such a mixture of good and hard and bad. So for today, though, Mark Fennell. And I think what helps, you know, to make Mark's contribution in this doco, so insightful, engaging, interesting, is his own personal history with this form of Christianity, even though he's been long gone from the church. And so as we talk through his approach to the doco, uh, even if you haven't seen it, and many in New Zealand won't have been able to yet, I think you'll find this conversation an interesting and insightful one. So before we get to it, just a reminder, you can get in touch via email, feedback at intheshift.com. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so at patreon.com slash intheshift. Uh, for patrons, you'll also get access to our great little online community at Discord. So check that out if it feels like your vibe. So here we go. This is Mark Fennell, Shane and I. This is episode 81 of In The Shift. Let's get into it. So today on In The Shift, Shane and I are joined by Mark Fennell. Mark is a journalist and documentary maker who, along with many other things, is the man behind the recent documentary The Kingdom on SBS in Australia. Thanks for joining us and uh, having a convo today, Mark. Oh, thank you. It feels, it actually kind of feels a bit long time coming because, um, you know, it's not a surprise to Shane, but but the key, one of the key reasons why the, the Kingdom kind of exists is because it must have been a year ago, or actually possibly even longer, where uh, a mutual friend of ours, David Farrier, was like, you should go talk to this person named Shane. I was like, okay, cool. And I don't normally do that, right? But because I trust <laughs> David, I was like, okay, Especially cool. with David's, so, David's weird friends. Yeah, <laughs> David's weird friends, yeah, I know. So, and, and Shane and I met, and it's funny because I, I had been thinking about, you know, Pentecostal, because we'd set up this documentary unit, and I had actually been thinking about... Well, we we knew actually that we were going to set up this this documentary unit, and I uh, and I had been thinking about Pentecostal Christianity and what was happening with it, and my weird relationship to it. And um, it was only it was, and I had, and I think as I've said many times in the past since we put the film out, I hadn't actually really talked about it. Like I kind of casually mentioned it in one or two interviews over the intervening 20 years. Mm-hmm. And it was only talking to Shane where I was sort of like, oh, there's actually quite a lot to unpack here. I wonder what you... Mm. And I think my, the, I walked away from the conversation being like, I wonder what you do with it. 
Um, and now fast forward to whatever month this is, uh, I have an answer to what we did with it. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so I have to, I, I do kind of have to, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm not the only person that makes it, at least Pataka and Dean Brochet are sort of our, that's our little team that, that made the film. Mm. Um, but in terms of my consideration for it, it, it does very much start with that conversation with Shane. And then sort of like we walked mm. out of that and, and went, I wonder what you would do with it. And then sort of it kind of snowballed from there. So uh, blame Shane, basically yeah. is what I'm saying. Mm, good. Um, yeah. 100%. It's just blame Shane. Look, bla- blame That's me, a podcast blame for unto, a, unto a lot of things. Oh, my wife would love that. If she could yes, get we a go. few more uh, in the public conversation. Yeah, write that down. 12-part 12, yeah. 12 podcast into the many crimes of Shane Meyer Holt. Coming soon to <laughs> history's greatest monster. History's greatest yeah. monster. History's yeah. greatest monster. Yeah, in fact, speaking, my, my wife actually does have a few, um, she'd actually like a, uh, a private conversation with you. And it's really for oh, Dean yeah. about, what, about why you put the um, Kmart kangaroo picture in the background rather than her amazing plants. Um, I hear about that every second day um, in, the, in the documentary, my framing. Well, it's because um, you didn't have a, is, It's because you didn't have a giant God is great. I rolled that up just before you came. Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Look, hopefully we're going to save you um, some pain by not having to uh, describe what a megachurch is like you do in a lot of your <laughs> interview podcasts, <laughs> podcast interviews and TV stuff. You'll know you've done 100 million interviews in the last, uh, uh, last few weeks. Most of our listeners either come from the background um, that you're kind of exploring in this documentary or if they come from other faith backgrounds or not, um, in the last year we've spent too much time um, – <laughs> <laughs> dredging our way through this stuff. So you're not going to have to explain what a mega church is, but for those who haven't seen it, do you want, what? how would you describe the, the documentary um, of the kingdom? Man? Well, it's, yeah, okay. You'd think I'd be better at this after the last week I've had. Um, okay, so e, there'll be some parts of this next couple of words that you're like, yeah, yeah, we know Mark. Um, so obviously in the last couple of years, we've seen Hillsong in... Um, I'm going to say disarray. Mm. And at the same time, there is a whole bunch of mega churches, which I don't need to explain, as <laughs> that um, <laughs> that are sort of inheriting the flock, right? Like there's a lot of people that are either leaving or leaving to go to other churches. Some of those churches have lived in the shadow of Hillsong for some time. Some of them are in vast ascendancy mode. Um, and I thought that as a person that was raised in not just Hillsong but a whole range of different um, megachurches and had left and and ha- has kind of watched it from afar for 20 years or so, I was like, this is an intriguing turning point. Um, this mm. is, the turning point mm. is that one empire, one dynasty appears to be in freefall and others stand ready to inherit the flock and therefore now is the time to ask the question, Two, well, a few things. One, how did how is it that Australia of all places ended up birthing this huge mm. cultural? Uh, and I, I say this often, and I think it's true, is that you know, as far as cultural export, you know, as far as Australian exports, it should go like Iron Ore, Hemsworth Brothers, Hillsong, because of the sheer cultural impact is is mm. is huge, and often to, I think to secularize kind of ignored, right? I mean, we're talking about millions of people every week singing mm. Hillsong songs, the churches everywhere. Like, I think that to secular people who don't know the story, that always comes as a surprise. But anybody that's kind of had any kind of vague connection to Christianity in the last 30 years is like, yeah, and? And so mm. I think that mm. there was a bit of that just kind of explaining that to people who had only ever seen Hillsong in headlines and being like, actually, this is 
kind of a really interesting export that we are responsible for, like as a nation, like we should. And I think that's not the other thing. It's like the, the blood is on your hands. Well, I mean, to, to, to some degree, yeah, because like there's obviously been a, no shortage of documentaries been made about this, but they're mostly American. There's a, yeah. quite a good BBC yeah. one actually that I think is quite good. But the American ones, they're all like, the, I'm not here to criticize other people's filmmaking, but I will just say like, they tend to like, Americans have a Americans are really good at making things about themselves. And um, mm. that's kind of what they've done with the sort of uh, films. Although, interestingly, the director of, um, I think, the most recent, the Hula one, she's actually New Zealander, uh, or she has a New Zealand background. So I, I do think that most of the documentaries anchor themselves on the American experience. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This thing yeah. started... Yeah. I mean, sure, they were New Zealanders, but they, it was started here. And we, and we, I think it was a, an interrogation of the model. I always say to people, like, the, mm. the film is not an attack on faith, but it is an interrogation of a model that was pioneered on mm. our soil and sent out around the world mm. and now is being, you know, mimicked by others. Mm. And now I think we have to ask the question of, well, okay, so how did that happen? What went wrong? Has anybody learned the lessons? And can it change? Yeah. Um, now, mm. that was what we set out with. What we didn't actually plan for was me. So we always, mm. like, normally when you no, make these No one ever expects Mark Fennell. No, no. I'm like, a, like Spanish a Spanish Inquisition. Inquisition. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, think, I think normally when you make a film like this, or a film or a podcast, and I make lots of stuff, you want a moment early on where you can establish to the audience, why am I following this dude? Like, like, mm. why him? Why now? And so, normally, you expect like, you know, and stuff. The British style. It's like, well, I'm from India, and I'm from Singapore, and I'm from Australia. Like, I wouldn't exist if it wasn't mm. for the British Empire. Off we mm. go. That's all. Normally, what I do is like, just give you enough to know that why you're supposed to follow this guy. That was sort of what I anticipated this was going to be. It's like I was raised in Pentecostal churches. Come with me as I re-examine the blah blah blah. Mm. What I didn't anticipate was that as I started interviewing people, I would get to the end of these interviews and I'd enter like a bit of a weird fugue state where I'm like, poor, I feel like I haven't felt this way in a long time. Yeah, right. And mm -hmm. because I essentially quiet quit Christianity and I ran away mm -hmm. and then I went on for this job in TV and radio and never really came up. Like, you know, mm -hmm. and so I would get to the end of these interviews and I'd sort of like be sitting there in the chair. And I think it was Dave Lillo Trine's interview that was probably the one that I was like, huh. Oh, haven't really thought or talked about this in a while. And I think Elise um, and Dean sort of looked at me at the end of these interviews and was just like, are you, are you okay? Are you like, are you fine? I'm like, yes. And I think that there are, there are a lot of like buzzy terms like triggered that get chucked around willy nilly these days, often without any real kind of consideration for what they actually mean. And I think this is probably the first time in a long time that I'm like, oh, I get what that word means. Mm. Like I get, mm. I get exactly mm. what that word means. And so there was a point where they were like, why are you <laughs> reacting like this? And I think the decision was made <laughs> to sort of, that no one, and I was, I'm a professional communicator and I could, I struggled to put into words in a concise mm. scripted fashion, how I was feeling. Uh, 
And for, for all of our non-professional communicators out there who have had to go through this process themselves, they'll be very grateful to hear that yeah, no, <laughs> someone no, who yeah, does this right. for a job. Like how hard is it? How hard it is to even begin to explain to someone mm. the yeah. depths the stuff reaches in you and how it shapes you and how unprocessed trauma and unprocessed experiences um, can become part of a kind of separate chapter in your life that's kind of like bubbled off into this kind of container that you go, whoa. Well, that's, what, think, that's what psychology does, that again. right? Yeah, I mean, that's what, I mean, it's funny though, my mum's a, um, my mum's a counsellor. So I was raised with a lot of these theories and terms <laughs> and I kind of instinctively know them. But then when you're like, oh, oh, well, shit, it applies to me now. I think that was, yeah. and, and the yeah. other thing about it is I, I've, I've often said that in some ways this would have been a simpler film to make if I'd had a very classic, like born in it, bad thing happened, left kind of architecture mm. to work within. Mm. And actually the the reason, one of the reasons why I didn't talk about it was actually my experiences weren't all bad. And I yep. needed to articulate yep. why, and anytime, and anytime it came up in an interview, I'd always like bat it away quite quickly because what I didn't want to get stuck with because you get stuck with the moniker, the moniker like ex-Christian Mark Fennell. Yep. And then, <laughs> yeah. then it kind of just flattens out your story. And I've been interviewed enough over the years to be like, nah, don't want that, please, thank you, no. Um, yep. And so I was like, this this felt like an opportunity to actually articulate what, it, what the experience was, you know, without sort of pulling focus and being too self-indulgent about it, I hope, because I'm, I'm always a little bit concerned about that whenever somebody puts himself at the centre of a film. I was like, mm. how do you articulate what the experience was like as efficiently as possible without getting sort of mired in it. So basically what happened was um, I got fully burnt out at the end of last year. And I think, Shane, when I inter interviewed you, I'd had about two hours sleep. I wasn't sleeping very much because I was just, I'd just come off the back of making stuff the British style and I shortly after interviewing you, I had to go overseas for a month to film all around the world and I was just... Fried. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so at the mm. end of last year, pretty much um, at Christmas, the, the day before Christmas last year, I sat in front of a, three cameras and the team, Elise, Una, Dean, they just like fired questions at me. And I was like, mm. and they were like, oh, do you want, and they knew I was pretty dead and broken by the time they're like, do you want to wait until the new year? And I'm like, no, do, if you want me to be honest. That's you want to get someone. Yeah. yeah, like you want me to be honest, we yeah. do it now. I, I, may or I may have not no filter, come at voice. me. Yeah, no, literally, yeah. I was like, my, my rules are you can ask me anything, but it never stays in the SBS archive. So, because mm. uh, mm. I just said so much stuff. And so I was, that's where that there's a thread throughout the film mm. of me sort of smack bang in the middle of the camera talking. And it's, um, yeah, like it's not, um, I hate it. <laughs> like I hate looking at it. And I've grown up on TV, right? So I'm not un I'm not mm. unused to the idea of seeing myself. But uh, um, it is also 100% the thing that people have responded to. And uh, mm. that is, mm. on one hand, like a relief. On another hand, it's like you now become the lightning rod for so many other people's yep. experiences. And sure, that's just yeah. a thing I'm mm. sort of juggling at the moment. I think it's really um, interesting the... Um, you know, what has resonated, I think, probably for a lot of folk is, is you talking about your story. Because there are, there are like, a, 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 there are some people who have experienced really like um, particular serious incidents, right? Yeah, within their definitely. church that have been hugely traumatic for them. Um, but there are also a huge number of people who have this just complicated, sort of feels a bit 
triggering and traumatic, but there's nothing specific they can kind of point yep. to and say, this person did this thing to me. Uh, and it kind of swims around. One of the, the phrases we hear a lot is the fog. Um, it swims mm-hmm. around in this kind of fog, and it's very hard for people to kind of get a grip on their own experience, let alone think yeah. critically about it or mm-hmm. or process it. Um, and so I think, you know, that kind of coming through in in what you were presenting, I think has been super helpful. What was it like for you kind of, like you're talking about working with your colleagues there, mm-hmm. um, kind of revealing this part um, of yourself to them in that kind of space? Look, I'm, I'm not going to deny, I'm, I'm not going to deny, I'm very lucky in the sense that I knew I had a degree of control over it. Mm. So mm-hmm. you can be a little bit more honest with people when you know that at the end of the day, you can be like, you know what, that thing I said about my parents, not maybe, hey, thing. not mm. like, mm. but, but mm-hmm. I never, I, mm. but I never exercised that power, to be honest with you. Um, I would have, cause I'm a megalomaniac, but I, I, di- I didn't actually. Um, and maybe they were, maybe they were also treading quite carefully with their, mm. with me. I, I don't know. There's a sort of, it's all very entangled, I think to some degree. I think the thing for us was like, I realized that these are, this is a group of people who've known me in some cases for up to 10 years and mm. they, they didn't know this thing about me. So like the, um, the, the boss of the unit, Lanny, she and I have known each other since a million years. And we had a dinner a couple of months ago. Uh, and she, I kind of casually mentioned the thing about going to church as a kid and Madeline, my, my wife is like, um, you used to lie about going because we, Madeline, I've been together for <laughs> teenagers. She's, and I was like, I had no memory of that. Like none at all. Right. Like none. I mean, mm. in my fairness, it was like many, many, many drinking nights ago. But <laughs> like I I had no memory of that. And I think what it was what was really apparent was that everyone's like my memory of things was pretty hazy. So and even actually since the film's come out, my mum, who's still sort of connected to that world, she's like, Yeah, but then we also did this, and then we also did this, and then we also did this. I'm like, Oh, maybe we should have interviewed you. Oh, maybe. <laughs> um, mm. Like, it, navig- actually, the, the navigating my family throughout it, because my family aren't present, but but some parts of my family are still very much in the world. Some parts are, are not. And it's not, like, it's my story to tell, but also, like, you've got to be careful about how it interacts on those around you. And I, yeah. you know, yeah. I'm, I'm sort of a yeah, bit circums- circumspect with, with them. But I also, I also didn't tell them, like, I was doing it until, like, two, three weeks before I came out because partially right. because we didn't know how much of me, mm. well, mostly because I'm a coward, but partially because mm. we didn't know how much of me would actually be in the final cut. And cause we ripped up the film and rebuilt it like twice, you know, like there was a version of it that didn't have any of me in it. Right. right. So, yeah. um, I didn't know how much of me. Director's in my cut. Life. Yeah. This is I think that actually, I think what is out is the director's cut, but there were a bunch of like mm. other versions along the way. So I think, uh, I didn't really, tell them that I was doing it until really close to it coming out. Um, and that was a bit, uh, it was a bit nerve wracking because I was sort of like, well, it is what it is. And then I just don't get a change. So yeah, <laughs> I also think is why I did it that way. Cause I'm like, I don't want to suddenly be feeling guilted into making it into a certain thing to satisfy other people's mm. Pe- mm. personal experiences. I'm rambling. Mm. Sorry, this is an no, occupational no, hazard good. for me. Please no, do. No, no, ramble I think, away. I think also that the, um, the good stuff. That that um that that feeling of like, how do I process this? And obviously, you're doing it in this very like 
public way, which mm. Shane and I have minor experience in. Uh, I wouldn't no say way. it's minor. I, I, okay. I think I think you've been doing it long enough and sort of at, at length. I think it's a there's a longitudinal quality to what you two are doing that that I don't yeah. I fully perhaps understand or appreciate. Sure, um, but I, a lot of people I think know that feeling of how do I talk about the fact that I don't see this in a, necessarily in a positive way anymore? How do I or or more than that? How do I talk about pain? Well, in that space yeah. when I'm when I'm sitting around the dinner table with my family who are all sort of still high-fiving each other as they're on their way to church <laughs> on Sunday, you know? I mean, we did reach a point where we, my brother and I would just start making jokes about it. You know, like, you're after happy mm. clappy, you got your checkbook. <laughs> like, we we, ha- we are a very, um, we're a very mean family. No, um, we, <laughs> look, it's interesting with that stuff because I hear horrible stories about people leaving the church and then basically also having to leave their family. Mm. I was very mm. lucky in that regard where... Um, mm. Uh, I, none of that happened. Like I, I just, just, I think because in part I was going to a different church to the one my family was going to. So it wasn't like they were all one in the same, Mm. but I did lose a whole, like not lose in the sense that people were like, and our friendship is done now. I lost a lot of friends because my friendship was caught up in that physical environment. Mm. Like it's not as, I Mm. think it's not as like, um, it's not an excommunication, you know, like it's just yeah. you have all these friendship groups that are caught up in that world and if you decide to leave that world, in effect, you lose those friendship groups. Yeah. Uh, and they were yeah. really important friendship groups and then they just sort of disappeared overnight mm. um, by, you know, my choice, not theirs, to be fair. And I think what has been really interesting for me is um, the sheer number of people from that world, from that time, who've reached out since the film came mm. out. Right. And many of them on their own timeline have had similar experiences. Mm. And I think it's been like an interesting experience of recognizing, ah, oh, shit, maybe we were all going through a version of the same thing. Mm. And mm-hmm. why didn't, mm. why didn't ever get talked about? That's mm. been kind of quite telling for me. It was like, ah, oh, maybe if we had more open and transparent conversations. <laughs> But as we've um, played out differently, (laughs) but I mean, as we've spent the last year talking about on this particular podcast, there's very sophisticated and nuanced reasons why there's not that openness. It's not just about a a a choice that you make that you're not gonna you're not gonna be honest with people. There's um a very sophisticated uh, set of emotional levers about why you don't talk about negative experiences Mm. in this place and why no one's honest with each other and why even after you've all left, it still can be difficult places to to talk about. One of the things that I think is actually most, I would actually say egregious is that, that Pentecostal Christianity, particularly Australia, the, the Antipodean brand of it is this sort of like really selling the idea of we're being authentic together, we're doing life together. Mm. Um, it, uh, even though, like, the, the services are, like, quite highly curated and they all kind of look the same, it's still and, – and, you know, the connect groups all kind of vaguely look the same, youth groups all kind of vaguely look the same. Even though there's all of that, I do think – Everyone's experience like, of God has to be the same. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I – I, I, my my personal feeling on it is it's not so much that everyone's experience has to be the same. It's just that they're not equipped to deal with it when mm. it doesn't. Mm-hmm. look the same I think they put it that way so yeah. it's not I don't think it's like you know as with all of these things I, I said in an interview uh, actually to one of the Christian radio stations I was like it's not like I think there's a person like some mastermind pulling the strings and as soon as I said it went so I see what I did there um, <laughs> but, 
But I was like, <laughs> I think sometimes there's a sense, I think sometimes there's a sense that there's some pastor sitting in some office somewhere who's planning all, all this out. I actually think what has happened is a sort of like collective group thing that's arrived as, yeah. at a certain yeah. way of doing things. And it's not as... um. It's not as megalomaniac in that regard as I think people think it is. What I do think is is groupthink has set in, and I think what I would hope, particularly from this film and podcasts like this, is that I think even for people that are still believers, I just think it's not ungodly to ask questions. Yeah. And I think that that is something that needs to be, I do think that is a thing that needs to change. It is not ungodly to ask questions. It is not ungodly to ask for Mm -hmm. transparency. Like I'm not... Like if people want to believe, then I'm like, all, more power to you, so long as you don't hurt other people. But mm. I think you do. I think it is good for the culture, more generally, to encourage the encourage and accept the asking of questions and the expectation of real answers to follow. Because mm. um, yep. I think because yep. I think sometimes like, people and, ask questions and, into the void and get nothing back. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I guess I think I'd, from our conversations of the last year, I pushed back a bit on that element of uh, whether that's curated or not, because uh, in in these systems and in these structures, our experiences there very much is a mastermind <laughs> behind the scenes mm. controlling whether people are allowed to ask questions or not, because um, enough of our people, including both of us, have been pulled into offices um, ah. about having concerning. I mean, Michael at one one stage has been compared to being a, 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 a boil on the side of the church that needs to be lanced. Oh no, I, I was the pus coming out of the boil. Yeah, oh, yeah, the, that's fun. Yeah, they were lancing yeah. the boil, and I was the gunk that was coming out with my dirty, dirty yeah, right. questions. <laughs> so the boil, the boil was questions. Uh, Michael was the uh, the pass, and <laughs> really uh, the, stretching this analogy as far as we go, <laughs> aren't you? We just want to talk about pass. Um, and 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 that that is very very intentional because I think the the leaders within these communities know that if they lose control, that um that that that. Questions are viral, um, to, to stretch the analogy even further, and that once once enough of them, once they start losing control of the narrative, they start losing control of the people, and that that actually becomes very intentional. So on the kind of like ground level, I think yeah, it becomes kind of groupthink and cultural and all of those things. But there are some very very careful mechanisms behind the scenes to make sure that agitators, um, that any dangerous ground that people might be going near, uh, you know. From the Arise stories back in New Zealand, there was, you know, people who asked a question about tithing and the next minute them and their family members and their flatmates and their <laughs> cousin's dog would just have a pop-up, oh, can we catch up for coffee pastoral meeting to talk about the scriptures that affirm tithing? Um that 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 on lots of in lots of places that's actually very intensely choreographed. Mm. I guess I, I was never close enough to leadership to experience it. Mm. Yes, yeah, so, so, so that's actually that's one of the things that we a, wanted to talk yeah. about. Is, yeah. is you you kind of like you kind of were, were the like in, in in many ways you kind of got like lots of the the best bits as well in terms of like you you weren't a burned out volunteer or staff member nope. um you weren't a nope. person who potentially experienced that that level of coercive control um yours is all in the also, background things like but eternal that's the conscious majority, torment that's the majority of people's experience right mm. and I think exactly yeah I think uh, I think it's important to articulate that. One of the reasons why people look at the horror stories and go, hmm, that seems like an attack, is because Mm. what their experience is, they rock up on Sunday, they get their cup filled up, they Mm. go to a connect group, they feel deep connections with people, 
most that is most people's connect experience of it, and therefore they don't have visibility into the leadership Mm. meetings where people are, you know, being pulled into. They don't have Mm. a visibility into into the volunteer part. It just happens. It just happens around Mm. them. Like, oh, Mm -hmm. wonderful. Mm -hmm. Isn't it great that we have the capacity for this? So I think think it's important to recognise that that is partially why so many people, when they see stories, they're like, doesn't look anything like the world I experienced. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's, that's right. important yeah. to articulate yeah. because there's a that disconnect within that disconnect actually lives the problem to a degree. Yeah, that is mm. very well articulated. Yeah. Mm. I mean, we have people, we've got, you know, friends who have moved from one church uh, where they experienced you know, life-destroying coercion and um, and awful experiences and completely burned out and moved uh, cities, this happened quite a lot, moved cities to another church because uh, they've seen that, well, they've been to that one, you know, when they're visiting that that city and they move halfway across the country to go to that one because, oh, thank God, it won't, my church, <laughs> this next one won't be like that. Uh, and then as soon yeah. as they get on the inside of that church, they realise it's actually much, <laughs> it's actually much worse. And there's this, this thing of, yeah, like having this conversation with people over my time, yeah, who have had that kind of insider and then on the margins experience of going, yeah, like like no one could ever believe um, that this would be their church because their experience of it is, is so far separated. So what, I guess the question in this is like what, what surprised you or shocked you or what did you learn kind of talking more to insiders in this process? Like was that, was that new information to you or were there elements of it that kind of really hit home? I wouldn't say there was a great deal in there that was news to me because actually mm. what was mm. probably more we had a lot of lengthy meetings of me just sitting down explaining to the team Pentecostal Christianity. <laughs> that so, must have been fun. <laughs> well, it wasn't necessarily intentional. We'd like have story meetings. I'm like, no, 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 no. You have to understand there's like a dynasty. So you've got this person from this person, yeah. that mm. from that. Yeah. So there was a lot of me explaining that gear. Right. Like this is the Evans family. Da, 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 da. Like that is all stuff mm. I kind of knew. And actually one of the big starting points was I was like Everybody knows the one big church. Everybody thinks everybody goes to the one big church. It's not that. They're like big. Yes, they're big, but not like it was me. Like the number of times, like my pet, one of my all-time pet hates is explaining Scott Morrison's like relationship to Hillsong. Mm. Yeah. They're like, yeah. isn't, did, isn't did he Hillsong? I'm like, Hillsong. no, he did not go to oh. Hillsong. Yeah. And then it's like, what? <laughs> he, he tried to leverage Horizon. political favor from the conference. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as so many have done. Yes. Right. And so yeah, it's yes. sort of like, I was, that was like, I think one of my, and it's like it's a weird hill for me to want to die on because I'm like, I'm, I'm like I don't know I don't want it to register as me being a supporter of Scott Morrison or any political party, but I'm like it was on your gravestone, yeah. yeah. Uh, it was the inaccuracy of it and the mm. way in which when these stories are told, we just flatten out details mm. to the point that mm. it's like just wrong, right? Just and that that actually yeah. does shit me. So I was like mm. the the things. It was a lot of me kind of going and and it was not that the team wasn't receptive to this, but it's like. Let me explain to you why so many Christians discount the work that's been done in this space because yeah, mm. that's right. we get yeah. basic shit wrong in news reports mm-hmm. and everyone mm. goes, uh, not paying attention to anything. Yeah, you mm. don't understand us and so you've got that one detail wrong so you're going to get everything wrong. So it's always yeah. like, like yeah. I, I think I wrote in like a Guardian op-ed piece, like you can pinpoint the moment when they they mention Justin Bieber, they mention Scott Morrison yeah. and, and they like – 
Which, to be fair, like both of those are things that are mentioned in the kingdom, mm. but like they're buried mm. in Seg Two, because I'm yeah. just like, yeah. this is not yeah. the point. Yeah, and, yeah. And like mm. you have to mm. recognize, like you have to acknowledge its role within. But I was like, let's put this in the appropriate, um, and not like no one was resist- resistant to this. The least is obviously like, and 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 the team like, yeah, no, we. But, but I think the thing for me was like. Um, I would spend a lot of time just trying to explain how things are seen internally versus how things are seen externally. Like externally, mm-hmm. this looks like this. Mm-hmm. Internally, they talk about it like this. Like I spent a lot yeah. of time doing that. Like even even conversations around money, right? Money's the, like, yeah. you know, whenever Pentecost Christianity gets covered in the TV, it's like money, sex scandals, cult of personality, and yeah. Like, yeah, those are the big three. Mm-hmm. And I was like, those are all important things. They need to be talked about. But... Um, there's a fundamental disconnect between how these things are seen and talk about within like lay people here. So this is probably where your experience mm. and my experience will diverge, right? How things are talked about internally um, at at a leadership level and how things are talked about internally at a like lay person level, I do think is probably different. Yeah, so, sure. Um, but mm. I was like, you know, you guys talk about, you know, everyone loves to talk about the money and, and how coercive it is. And I'm like, yeah, no, it, mm. it, it can be. But it's also part of a broader um, broader sort of mindset of, of prosperity gospel where mm. everything good mm. that happens to you, you know, God wants you to prosper in your, your finances, your relationships, blah, 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 blah. Everything good that happens to you comes from God. So therefore giving back into that seems like a cyclical relationship. That's what, and because they were like, why would people give to this? I'm, and, and also it's like, <laughs> Look at the performance on stage. Like, if you were paying mm. for a show, that would yeah, be money yeah, well yeah. spent, right? Yeah, so, yeah, like, you got it. Yeah, and I was sort of like, I'm not saying this to say that there aren't coercive things that happen. There clearly are, but you've got to understand the mindset of the people in it mm. if you're going to have a hope of accurately conveying. And so, there's no question that my interpretation of the world is a fair bit more generous than most people's Mm. and most other films. Mm. That is intentional because it matters to me more that Christians watch the kingdom than non-Christians. Absolutely. Right? And the the fact of the matter is- Because they're the only ones who can change it. They're only ones who can change it and it's their lives on the bloody line, Mm. right? It's their money, Mm -hmm. their time. And so I'm like, Mm. like, we obviously wrote it in a way that, I wanted to make sure that if you'd never had any experience of church, you'd watch it and kind of be like, oh, oh I kind of get it. Like that was important. But mm. act f- in a, on a, like a journalistic level, what matters to me more is that bloody Christians watch it because I yeah. want to, yeah. that, like I don't want to, I don't want to tell them how to fix it because that is not my mm. job. But I do want to <coughs> say, you, you make a film like this, or actually you make a podcast like this. It's like the, the, the fact of the matter is you are kind of, starting or injecting yourself into a conversation that you never actually get to finish. Mm-hmm. This conversation ends in church boardrooms. It ends in connect groups. It ends in the mm-hmm. green room off the side. That's where it ends. That's where decisions are going to be made. If this thing's going to change, if it's going to grow and hurt fewer people, that's where it's going to happen. And I'm not mm-hmm. in that room. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be in that mm-hmm. room. But I do want to. I do want the people in that room to at least heard the stories that this, have come from... Uh, is this from, not the, from these conversations? Sorry, conversations. No, no. Sorry, I was just going to say, is this the this is not the start of your slow ascendancy to the top of the uh, Australian megachurch scene? It is not. Although I have, <laughs> you've had already a got some great of, stills. Yes, yes, I do. I've had so many people. I've got two kinds of like. I've got two. I've had two kinds of feedback. Right? <laughs> this is our chance to win Mark back. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So I've had I've had Get two him, kinds of feedback. One, which is just like people who've had experiences, kind of like me, and and. 
and to some extent you guys, where it's like, I just want to give you a hug because I do look a little bit like a broken baby at the end of it. Um, mm. But mm. the other thing is, and this is actually quite lovely, I have to say, is a lot of people in churches who are like, I'm really sorry, can I buy your beer? Mm. Can I buy mm. your coffee? And, can, and, and actually, mm. you know, this is where... Whilst there are very serious issues and I'm in no danger of being converted anytime soon, I do <laughs> want to underline the fact that there is just a truly beautiful, there is a thick mm. wave of really beautiful, big-hearted people in that world. And mm. I, I thought it, I maintained that it was possible to be clear-eyed and critical about problems of the model without necessarily attacking people's beliefs and faiths. And I mm. that's probably the yep. thing I'm most proud of with the film which is that we mm. could we managed we to do that like we could yep. do a film that was like this is not an attack on faith but it is an interrogation mm. of a model and mm. i think that yep. of anything that's come out of the kingdom that's probably the thing i'm probably mm. um like and when i say i i mean i mean as a team like obviously yeah. we, we yeah. make it as a team we're I mean, very, at least we're very at least is clearly the the true genius we all know that but um oh no deeply look, but but also oh, like oh, the whole the whole team kind of comes in and does scripting like we're we're very like tight-knit as a crew and mm. i think when i when I claim credit for that, I claim on behalf of. Hmm. Uh, when it, there's some there's some stuff we want to dive into, but before we leave that that conversation, you you mentioned um, you know the decisions get made and the questions get asked, you know in in <laughs> in the green rooms, in the connect groups, in the from the people inside the church for that community of people because we experienced this a lot with the arise stories that came out of New Zealand. So for those Australian listeners, there was a journalist David Farrier who did it. Um, uh, one piece on his <laughs> on his um, o- online publication about a particular church in New Zealand from some feedback he'd have about um, you know uh, overwork of interns, staff having mental break- mental and physical breakdowns, coercive leadership, cover ups, a bunch of stuff. Um, and in that church there, there was initially a huge amount of resistance, as you say, because people who don't see the insides of these things, who just attend the church, have could just could not believe that that would be their church that would operate off those mm. principles. Um, and no one can, no one in these systems could ever believe. You know, they can believe it about other churches because mm-hmm. this is where the this is where the Hillsong story frustrates me because it's a, it's a bit of a. Um, it's a bit of a ring fence for the rest of the church because it kind of goes, you know, over there there's those bad people making bad decisions and there's a bad church and it's all about money and it's all about power, unlike mm. our church, which, you know, yeah. isn't because it's yeah. clearly good. But if the, the leaders at the top of these, the, their, their greatest skill is convincing people that they're good guys. <laughs> um, and having seen behind the scenes for both Frosty and I, we know that a lot of them are <laughs> absolute monsters. Um, yeah. For people in churches who are, who, who are going, you know, could could this be my church? What are the questions that you think need to be asked by those people? Ooh, that's a great question. You should thank you. you. Should do, this you is the start of my podcast. career. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you should host a podcast. You, you ask good questions. Um, I would I, I I would start with observance rather than than hard questions. You mm. know, when you step into when you step into church on Sunday. Listen for how things are communicated. Listen for where the emphasis is put and why. And mm. uh, and and are you ever put into a position where you are made to feel like you can't say no? Because mm, I think it's the it's the it's the you mm. can't say no part that 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 way danger lies. Mm. Um, mm. So I would start with observance and. Yep. The next thing after that would be where is the safest place to ask to, 
to ask that question. Because mm. that's going to vary from per, from person to person and church to church. Like there will be people listening to this that operate in churches that are have really great have a really great culture. And I don't want to assume, and as, mm. as has been established, I don't want to assume the worst of any of these places. Absolutely. Um, mm. But I I think you probably uh, start with observance and then go to where's the safest place. Because for some people, the safest place will be within a direct communication with a well-known person uh, who you can trust or you hope you can mm. trust. For some mm. people, the safest place will be anonymously. And mm. I think mm. that's a mm -hmm. real thing to consider. Um, and I think, I, I think, I think it, rather than me dictating the questions that need to be asked, I, I would ask people to, I'm just going to sound very like Yoda here, which is like search your feelings <laughs> first, because, um, because everybody's experience is going to be different. And I think if you're standing in the room and you're listening to how an offering message is given and you're like, this feels like coercive, it feels like we don't really have a choice in the matter. If you're standing in the room and you know, things, you know, the way people's volunteering and capacity is being talked about makes it seem like fait accompli. That mm. would be a big question. Mm. Um, so the way I often, the other things like the way in which relationships are talked about, I often find really intriguing. I often find that's where a dominating power dynamic is revealed in terms of how they talk about, um, in terms of how they talk about how men and women and how leadership and 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 sort of followers followers should be structured, that mm. stuff always is like that's I, whenever I hear them talk about that stuff, that's always where my red flags go off. It's like, mm. oh, you mm. have an assumption mm. that this is how it's supposed to operate. Uh, I, I was struck as you're talking about kind of the experience of many people as kind of insiders going, oh, this couldn't possibly be my mm. church or the people that I love or the music that I love couldn't surely have been written <laughs> from this kind of place or whatever. And I really loved the fact that you had like, um, you had some of those insiders actually represented in the in the story, right? Like the the super fan yeah. who you traveled to the US to chat to, who was like, so um, I loved how kind you were to her. She, I her, mean, she was, she was very generous with us, really. Like, yeah. I mean, think about, think about from her point of view, random Australian comes to you and goes, <laughs> hi, why do you go to Hillsong College? Um yeah, it was interesting. I went to go visit City of Grace while I was in Arizona, um, which is the church that used to be Hillsong, but then basically removed itself. Mm -hmm. And it was um, I was there on Thanksgiving, incidentally. Um, so it was kind of like half empty, uh, and it was really interesting because I we didn't film it. I didn't. We didn't bring cameras in. I was just like, I'm just going to visit it, and I rocked up, and I was like, that actually was the first time I'd been in a church for 17 years, mm. and I. Um, I was like, hi, how are you? And they're like, oh, you're Australian? You might have heard we used to be a Hillsong. We're not anymore. I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mate. Chill. Uh, and they were lovely. They were lovely. But I had this massive fight or flight response as soon as I stepped in. Well, I, yeah. you saw me describe it. Like a, I had this massive fight or flight response as soon as I walked in. I was like... <laughs> And it's actually a beautiful, what they've done is they've actually taken an old like Mexican church and they'd like, oh, like wow. hillsonged hill it up, like with the, like the LED board mm -hmm. at the front and the lights. And actually was mm -hmm. one of the most intriguing churches I've been in because it was old, like old, 
but been given the the Pentecostal treatment, you know, the, Pente- yeah. <laughs> the, yeah, yeah, the interior yeah. design overhaul. So it was like, the, mm. it was a bit mm. the best of both worlds. Um, but I did, but they had pews, like they had like old school pews, right? And I sat in the back row and I was like, I was taking in like where the exits were. Like it was a real yeah. like fight or flight response. Uh, it was very strange. And I have a hard, and I was, when they were like, whenever they ask people to stand up, I'm like, nope, this is the hill I die on. I will not perform. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a performing monkey. I, that was, and I, I did that a few times because I'm like, that's, that's where I felt like I was, as a teenager, I felt like the moment I stood up, I'm like, okay, well, I'm officially faking it now. Right, uh, yeah. So my rule now is like, I will not stand up. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's so interesting. Like the, the kind of, like, the kind of fuzzy power that um, when, when we talk, kind of talk about unprocessed <laughs> religious trauma and things like that and and that experience of going, well, nothing really terrible ever happened to me. Why do I feel so strongly about this? Yeah, I um, know. It's because some of it's so, some of it's so fuzzy, right? Some of it is like really subtle groupthink control that you're trying to resist. Some of it's the way in which you kind of carry the lifelong trauma of um, being promised an eternity in hell if you make the wrong move that, you know... It might not have ever been framed like that, but when you say it out loud, that sounds like quite um, terrifying for a person to, to have to, to have to live with. Oh, don't get me wrong. I'm 100% hedging my bets and doing a deathbed confession. Like, don't <laughs> get me wrong. Like, like there's, I'm just like, there's no, like, you can't be conditioned from birth on a thing and not hold it some on some deep level that that's mm. a, that, that it's a possibility. It's a like, possibility. Yeah. 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 So I'm like, yeah. I mean, I don't know if it still works if you admit in multiple interviews that you're doing a deathbed confession. I don't know if that somehow cancels it out. Gee, if only God was present and verbal and I could ask him. Mm. Anyway. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know. Like I think, uh, yeah, I, there's a, I think I asked Dave in the film, like, do you ever shake it? And you can look in my face of like, please tell me you can shake it. And yeah, Dave, yeah, you right. never actually shake it. And no, I was like, oh, yeah. awesome. All right, cool. So mm. this is, okay. this is with me We're all in this together. Sweet mm. as, mm. yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think... I was struck, generally speaking, by the amount of grace, to borrow a Christian term, uh, <laughs> the amount of grace we were extended by people within, like yeah. it, like actual followers. Like dealing with the mm. churches themselves was a pain, um, but the um, the everyday followers were actually like there was a lot of grace extended. A project that they, you know, had no reason to believe we were necessarily mm. going to be mm. as fair as obviously it's turned out to be. I, I'm still kind of impressed that everybody within the church that spoke to us, um, mm. the, when you deal with the big mega churches, you're always dealing with a big PR team yeah. or big PR, well, not PR team, but you're dealing with a big, with a PR person. They all have one. Uh, and there, I had lengthy chats with C3's PR guy who's not a Christian, but it was just like, mate, why would we agree to this? Like, why, why, why would we be part of it? I'm like, because you're never going to get, because, like, and my argument was like, well, you're never going to get anything fairer. Like, and I maintain yeah, that true. to be the case. Mm. Um, mm. And he still uh, ended up not winning it. Obviously, Hillsong was <laughs> like, <laughs> nah. Um, mm. uh, you know, and so the the PR guy who handles um, Planet Shakers and Kingdom City was, uh, you know, he, I guess credit to him in the sense that he actually did managed to go, actually, I think this is not a bad idea. But he also, like, followed us around whenever we were filming and <laughs> asked us to turn off the cameras <laughs> when, the, when they did the offering. Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. I like, I guess on one hand I'm like, okay, well, good on you for kind of being open and with us and having lengthy meetings with people about 
who we were and what we were doing. Like I, when I got to Perth to shoot yeah. at Kingdom City, uh, I, me and Una, the executive producer, we basically had a three-hour conversation with Mark Verghese and one of the other pastors there and Darren, who's the PR person. We had like a three-hour conversation with them, basically just convincing them that we weren't like assholes. A hurt job. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I think I, on the one hand I get it. Like, you know, they will all – Mark has been pretty upfront. He's like, we didn't really seek out this media and I think that's probably fair enough. But I was also just like mm. – the three hours just telling them where I was coming from, the intention of the film, who I – and, like, what mm-hmm. – and, you know, mm-hmm. the the starting position was, like, you can put one camera in the corner and it cannot move. I was like, yeah, that's not <laughs> – yeah. that's not how that's going. And I, and I understand it. They didn't want it to interrupt people's moment, people like people having a moment in the church. I get that. But I'm also like, you also mm-hmm. can't convey mm-hmm. anything mm-hmm. like that either. So yeah. I was like, mm-hmm. you know, th- mm-hmm. there's all these negotiation components that, that go into making a film like this. Back to the the kind of central narrative. Like for me, the central narrative is you know, you know, co- co- coercion, volunteer, and staff abuse. Like that's the stuff that we've been dealing with for the last year. Yeah. Um, do you think that those conversations are reaching the top in any meaningful way? Like, is that something that you know, in your conversations with any of these guys behind the scenes, that that the 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 fact that growth comes at such a dramatic cost to so many people and that is something that needs to be taken seriously do you feel like there's any ground being made on that i do but it varies right okay. so some people mm. i spoke to and elise spoke to so elise and i went off and did a million coffees with people at various different churches um, before even a frame was was made, and at least did some, and as well, and I, by herself. And I was like, I one thing that was just striking me is like <laughs> the number of times like a church leader will say, "Look, this is important stuff; it needs to be talked about." I'm like, "Cool. Mm-hmm. Will you talk about Who, it? Who's, who's like, doing it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. like, will you talk about it?" And they're like, "Ah, oh, not sure. This is right for our community right now. That kind of stuff." It's like, okay, right, yeah. So yeah. I think I think there's mm-hmm. a real I am concerned that everybody sees it as a problem with somebody else's community and not their yeah. own. Maybe. Yeah, I think like that 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 would be my. Yeah. I think you actually alluded to it earlier, which is I think that would be my take. And again, my take is is essentially that of an informed outsider, right? So I'm not in mm-hmm. these environments, but what I would say is that um, I've I've observed a lot of people who, in conversations like radical transparency. We've got to talk about these issues. I mean, it's really important. Christians, you know, Christians need to have these conversations. I'm like, yep, great. Will you have that conversation? And like, well, I mean, I'm not sure like it's right for our community right now. I was like, okay. Mm. And, so, no, and no one does. We we entered this conversation and like, you know, we planned on doing one podcast episode about it last year when it was coming out in New Zealand and it turned into kind of like a year's worth of work as we began to unpack the stuff. But one of the reasons we particularly like we don't have a particular responsibility we're not in the system anymore we are both involved in the church that care about it um but this isn't kind of our um you know stomping ground or anything but this what we notice is that you've got david farrier in new zealand on one hand copying like he's got a, a couple of thousand pages worth of a google doc of just people's horror stories for within these places and literally just no one else within the church saying saying a word about it which there are reasons for um but it's just hard to come to terms with the fact that this is this within church circles is known it's it's a known conversation um, i mean that's the thing no like one. there's there's nothing it's interesting i 
people were like, how's your family going to react to the film? I'm like, there is nothing said in the kingdom that I didn't hear 20 years ago when my whole family was in, like, like there's not, like, this is actually probably one of the the things I was actually more concerned about when it came Mm. out. It's like, there's nothing in this film that people inside church communities don't already talk about. Yeah. What was telling to me is that those conversations so rarely bubbled up in mm. secular mm. media, mm. right? So when yep. Yep. a big commercial network does a, you know, lengthy piece on, on you know, what's gone wrong in Pentecostalism, none of those actual issues that actually affect everyday Christians somehow manages to yep. find the airtime. Mm. Instead, it's all about, mm. you know, a certain very well-known preacher and mm. some well-trodden stuff that happened and it's like that's fine like i think i think brian houston is is um is worthy of scrutiny um mm. and i think some of the you know some of the high profile some of the victims who have had horrific things happen to them it's really important their stories are told in the most public in the most mm. um mm. In, in the most impactful way possible like i i back that but it was also just like Every time you make that the focus, there's millions of people that look at them and go, mm. well, that's not relevant to me, so I'm not. Yeah. So, mm. nothing, yeah. Nothing's wrong with my community. Yeah. Um, and that, look at that yeah. problem and there's there, hun- Hundreds you know? of churches, hundreds of leaders that have lived in the shadows going, Hillsong's going to cop the media. No one's scared of losing their job for yelling at staff members, for driving them over the edge for for I mean, there's India, there's NDAs in churches mm. across Australia and New Zealand that have been signed off, paying off tens of thousands of dollars to former staff members to not talk about their experience that aren't Hillsong. There's 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 yeah. countless, countless mm. renditions of the story that just don't ever get a peep. Yeah, and I think I mean, and this is the thing, it's like there, there is no such thing as the definitive mm. Pentecostal documentary. There's no such thing as the definitive mm. Hillsong documentary. And I and I made my piece with that quite early on. It was like mm. <clears throat> we didn't know that we didn't know that the the big Hulu series or, or was out, but we'd seen the Discovery series and I was like, okay, so let's not do that then. Yeah. Um yeah. but uh, yeah. but my but I was also just like the more specific and the more tightly angled your story is, I think you have more opportunity to be and this is to borrow a slightly Christianese term, you have more opportunity to be genuinely authentic. Whereas if you try to do the, this is the landmark film about the rise of Pentecostalism, <laughs> how it happened <laughs> and how it affects you. You try to do that, eventually everything sort of flattens out into nothing. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I, I made a kind of call early on in my career that I like, as a general rule, I look for small doorways into big worlds. Yeah. So I look for, you know, mm. everything I do, whether it's Stuff the British Stole or The Kingdom, it's like find me mm. something small that I can step into and then it can illuminate the whole without saying mm. this is the official story of yeah. everything. So I think yeah, that's yeah. – and I think because of that, there will always be this multitude of stories that, um, that are still out there to be told. And uh, I think – I think we were just like very clear about what 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 is the thing what is the small thing that we are building that that mm. can help you understand the whole but doesn't pretend to be like the official story of the whole. Um, yeah, that, I mean that was the intention, I guess. Anyway, yeah. Um, maybe it's just last question or two, but um, in terms of that kind of that interplay between like the particular and then the universal kind of you know moving between those or the, the doorways through, there are a couple of um, there are a couple of mums. On the doco that you include, which I think was a really like, I love the mums. Yeah, yeah, really mm. interesting little um, 
way of kind of... I think Elise still hates that my mum's not in it. Oh, right. (laughs) I I think Elise is still like... (laughs) Oh, we could get your mum in this. She doesn't. She hasn't <laughs> said it, but I can see it on. At least it's at least the writer and director I'm talking about. Yeah, <laughs> her face is like whenever I bring up mum not hating it. Her face tightens with this like, we could have had her in. We totally <laughs> could have had her in the film. I think what's really nice about those moments is that, or not just nice, but actually insightful. Right, is this kind of the different perspective on the same experience that so like the the two sons, one of whom is still very much like inside a going for it, one who's been chewed up and spat out by the system um, on the other side, and then the mum's perspectives on, on those kind of experiences. Mm. Um, what, why did you, what did you like about the, kind of the nature of those conversations and, and why they um, went there? Well, I mean, it, uh, a few things I think that Elise and Dean and I probably feel like. Sometimes, sometimes people aren't great at conveying... Ah, you can explain your own story, right? But mm-hmm. sometimes it helps to have somebody that's very close to you that saw your story at close quarters that sees you from outside of yourself. And I think both EJ and Dave benefited from having a person that knows them well that could see their story outside of themselves. Yeah. They still get they still own their story. They still tell their story. But I think it doesn't hurt to have a person who can sit just slightly outside of you and go, you know, I lived through you doing this and this is how I saw it. Yeah. And that, yeah. and and I think like what we wouldn't have done is done the mums separately and then like cut between the two because it's actually mm-hmm. about, it's actually about having somebody that sees them talk to them. And, and you know, for example, EJ's mum. Uh, so EJ, if you're listening to this, he's a, he's a youth pastor at, um, at Planet Shakers in Melbourne, right? And EJ's, you know, he's all in, right? He's, he's really putting a lot of time in and his mum, he has a, you know, he has a, a, a quite a powerful testimony, as so many people do, and, mm. um, you know, he's his mum just made the observation he's just spending a lot of time there, and he and she's worried, right? Um, yeah. That's not that's not that was not something we planned for. It's not mm. prompted. She kind of volunteered it, but what was important was like she says, you know, you're spending a lot of time there, and he turns around and goes, well, I wasn't doing a lot of time. I wasn't doing a lot else beforehand, and I don't. And he's like, I don't think Mum's seen the change it's had in my heart and soul. So I think it's important in that moment for her to kind of recognize what she's seeing from the outside. But then he has, you know, I think what would have been dodgy is we'd cut out his response, like mm. which we would never mm. do because his mm. response is like, well, yeah, she mm. can. You know, that's what she's observed, but his observation as well. She can't see what's necessarily happening in my soul and how much it's changed me. So I think, I think I like, as a, uh, I personally, what I liked about those sequences is that they allow a person for a brief moment to see themselves from without themselves and also allow Mm. them to kind of triangulate their own experiences against that. I mean, Dave's Mm. was important because I think Dave, um, Dave is still, I think, working out how to put into words his experience. Mm. Um, and mm. so having his mum offer her somewhat more unvarnished take on the situation. Dave and I, like, I, I met Dave when we did that interview, but I do, I remember staring across at Dave and just being like, we kind of were the same person to a degree. Um, mm. Like a, a handful of like life choices differently. Like he went a bit more into ministry. I never did, but like, and, and, you know, we're the same age and we're the same colour to some degree. I was like, I remember looking at him just being like, 
ha, we could be related. <laughs> and um, there was a bit, of, and I think there was a bit of that with me watching Dave just being like, your life and my life have these weird overlaps. Uh, we probably have friends who are the same. Like, uh, yeah. And, but I thought it was really helpful. But we also have a similarity in the sense that we probably both tend to like, we we don't neither of us seem to like conflict, so we're often like very right. like. Well, it's more nuanced than that. It's a bit more like this, a bit more like that. Whereas Dave's mum was just like, mm. "Nah, it's abuse." <laughs> so I think yeah. Dave and I probably needed a person to be like that, to be like, mm. you know what, mm. this is abuse, and mm. let me tell you all the reasons mm. why. And because yeah. sometimes it's hard mm. to see from inside, you know, like um, you know, I did a series a couple of years ago about um the race to breed the world's hottest chili. And um, in it, I ended up talking a little bit about my relationship with food. I've always kind of grown up kind of fat and kind of expanding and contracting. And then there was a certain point when one of the producers went, so when, when are you going to talk about your eating disorder? And I'm like, sorry, what are you talking about? And they're like, well, everything you've described is, is an eating disorder. And I'm like, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. And like, they're not words I would, you know, some people like reach for a diagnosis and then just own it as their whole personality. Like, you know, those people that are just like, <gasps> words to describe me. This is my entire personality is going to be this malady. I, and I think Dave, don't do that. I'm just like, mm. when somebody, it doesn't matter how clearly you fit into a box, uh, you're like, no, I mean, maybe uh, aspects of it. I think sometimes it's helpful to have a person that knows you well who can just call it. Yeah. Um, from the outside. Yeah. And I think what was, again, important was like letting Dave react to that. So Dave is like, well, I wouldn't put it in those strong terms, but I wouldn't disagree with it either. And yeah, I think yeah. in that moment, it was just, great. It, but it yeah. also just reveals exactly who I think Dave yeah. is, which is Dave mm. is a person who's mm. always looking mm. for, who who's really comfortable articulating living in the gray areas mm. uh, and, yeah. and always keen to point out a bit of those nuances. And I think that's one of the reasons why I love Dave on, on in the film. Mm. I think it's why a lot of people he's love him. He's always reaching for, mm. he's always reaching for mm. some sort of detente, something where we can all agree. And But I also think that, that, that there's that fear within describing an experience that, of that flattening out, of going like, if I, if, I, if I speak about it as abuse, then it might cover over some of the, some of the genuinely beautiful and life-changing and great experiences I had in there. And that's one question I kind of wanted to ask you, but we, we, we're going to wrap up, but um, it's just, just you talk about in other interviews about, you know, church saving your life at a particular period of time. Mm. And for, again, for people looking from the outside at mega churches and just seeing power and money and celebrity and all of these things who miss the smaller stories in there, I just on a kind of like personal level, who, who were those people and what what was it, what gift was it that they had to give to you? What was it that they offered you that meant so much? Yeah. Um, so towards the end of my time in high school, my, my parents, I mean, my parents' marriage was never great, but um, it was mm. particularly bad. And, and I sort of just, um, I would say ran away from home, but I just took every opportunity to not be at home. Mm. And I, mm. uh, at the time I was going to a completely separate church to the rest of my family. I wasn't really seeing or talking to the rest of my family as much as I could avoid. And mm. I sort of got pseudo, through a youth group, I pretty much got pseudo adopted into a few different church families. And I was just there mm. every weekend. Mm. I'd stay over a lot. And um, and they basically, and, and not just the, the parents, but all the, the kids are roughly the same age. They just provided a, a surrogate family that I didn't mm. really have. Mm. And I don't know mm. if they did that because they could just see what I needed or that's just who they were as people. But I do think I do think they are and will always be the best reflection 
of what mm. the faith mm. can be and can and can bring about in people. Mm. And mm. so it was family. The short version to that mm. is it was family. It was yeah. a family when I needed mm. one the most. Yeah. Uh, mm. And I will always be grateful. You know, and and there's like I don't want to. There'll be people saying like, "Well, they didn't have to be Christian to do that." I'm like, "You know, you're right. They didn't have to be Christian to do that, but they were Christian and they did do that." Mm. So, it, like, it's not to suggest that you know some like there's sometimes this argument of like, "Without faith, where are your morals?" I'm like, "Really? Like, if people have morals, whether they've got faith or not, it's nonsense." But, but mm. I, but mm. that was the that was what was guiding their morals. It was mm. what was guiding their morals. It was what mm. guiding them as mm. people. So, you know, mm. as much as we want to be able to go, well, you don't need to have faith to have morals. I'm like, yeah, no, that's true. But at the same time, mm. these were people that were being driven by their faith. So, yes, mm. it, mm. there is a relationship there. Yeah. And I think that, mm. um, you know, it's, it's hard for me because that was part of the that was part of the friendship group, the surrogate family that I I. Well, I was going to say I lost, like I walked away from, mm. in effect. Mm. Like obviously, we, you know, we kept in contact a little bit and there was, but like by simple virtue of not being there, not going there, you stop being a part of it. So mm. yeah, I, I probably should stop calling it a, a thing I lost because it was my choice. I walked away. And I think that's, mm. you know, I look back on it now and I think I, I, I keep wondering if there was a better way to do it. Like I was 19, 20, so I don't, what the fuck was I doing? I have no idea. <laughs> but like I, I do keep wondering like what 19, 20 yeah. year olds knows what the fuck they're doing. But I'm also just like, mm. what? I do wonder if there was another way it could have, I could have played it out where I could have been more intentional about keeping the friends and the friendship without necessarily like, but I didn't. And, you know, history is what history and, is. And look, sometimes sometimes these, place, these places are set up in lots of ways with kind of like harder like harder, harder boundaries where yeah. because the, these are like there's kind of an in and out narrative to it. There's kind of a um, all in or, or all out, yeah. like you either are completely committed or you don't can't really participate or it's an us and them thing, you know. And so I think in some ways, like I think if churches had softer, had fuzzier boundaries in lots of ways, like that would actually be, be much, much more helpful to kind of like have, I mean, as, a, as a person who's a part of a faith community where, you know, the vast majority of our people are, have, have been through some kind of you know, faith reconstruction, deconstruction, crisis, trauma, whatever, left, left faith, come back years later. We have people on long cycles who kind of dip in for two months, leave for three years, come back two months later as if they've never left. They can, they can, kind of metabolizes it for a bit, then needs some time away. And actually having that kind of like open-handedness and soft boundaries allows us to kind of hold relationship with people across all kinds of different places, whether they're going to return or not. And um, it's much harder to do. And, you know, you relinquish a lot of control, which I think is only a good thing. Um, but, it would, you know, it opens the possibilities of, of, of that, of kind of being, letting people renegotiate faith and spirituality and community without having to make this kind of really dramatic in or out. Renegotiate yeah, such a great term, isn't it? Mm. It's like, because that's the one thing that, because of the nature of how Christianity is written up, it, it actually, it doesn't necessarily encourage you to renegotiate. It encourages you to reorientate yourself around a monolithic set of ideas and, mm. and a monolithic mm. narrative, and mm. um, which is mm. also, I mean, which is how it's presented, but it's a little bit bullshit because it's a 2,000-year-old book written by half a dozen people that oh. uh, is oh. open to multiple levels of reinterpretation and therefore it, you That has be been able, reinterpreted. Exactly. It's been reinterpreted the entire time. We just never say yeah. it. It's like, and I, and, it's and like and people who think thing. that church has always been the way it is now and going like, well, it's always been this way. What, for the last 30 years it has? It, even the way <laughs> we talk yeah. about it it's like it's the word it's like okay but mm. that word yeah even if you accept everything 
even if you take a, a wholly Christian take of the situation, which is it is the word, the singular word of God handed down through a bunch of different people, mm. let's at least acknowledge that through the handing down of it, through the, you know, the the reinterpretations, through all of that, there is room. Like let's let's at mm. least acknowledge that there oh, is room for interpretation. Not even here. not even that. In inside it, there's arguments. There's arguments like the prophets yeah. are arguing with each other about the priests are arguing with the prophets, the prophets are arguing with the kings. There's 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 arguments the entire way through and flattening that out just doesn't diminish it. It, it enriches And even it. with the Gospels, which are basically telling the same story, Rashomon style from multiple points of view, I'm like, there's room within that too. And it's like, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. the way, like, and which is all stuff that was not obvious to me until I got older and, you know. Mm. Actually, mm. is when I became a film critic, I was like, oh yeah, perspective, interesting. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Literary like, devices, think, yeah. Hmm, who knew? Uh, all that mm. stuff in four unit English, it's going to pay off. Um, so I think, you know, the I think some of the way we talk about the be- the Bible um, is is could also we could also just afford to generally be a bit more grown up about and just kind of recognise mm. that it's not ungodly to debate and to kind of and and I should also say lots I mean lots of churches do do this like I wouldn't Absolutely I, 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 I think yep. you know I, we're sort of highlighting the things that we recognise as deficits because I think there's lots mm. of faith communities that encouraged debate, encouraged, you know, and, and I think there's the, even actually, even to be fair, some of the big ones that we've talked about here, some of them do it pretty actively in, you know, sort of connect groups and whatnot. So again, mm-hmm. that, that was always the, the challenge was just, mm-hmm. just like, you want to kind of articulate the big brushstroke issues, but at the same time kind of recognize that it's a community of millions of people broken up into mm-hmm. smaller communities. And it's, I, I'm always very wary about like painting in too broad a brushstroke, yeah. particularly with this yeah. one, because everyone... This is the thing I was saying about like find a handful of stories that allow you to illuminate the whole, but don't ever pretend for once yeah. that this is the story of the whole. So, what do you kind of um, you know maybe his last question? What do you what do you hope might be you know a longer term impact from from the doco? Um, what do you hope um, might be the response to it in some way? I actually have two answers to that question. One is the answer I would have given you before it came out, and the other is the answer I, I would give you after it's come out. Um, before it came out. All I wanted was for people within churches to ask more questions mm-hmm. and to mm-hmm. a, and and to empower them that they it, those communities are many Christians won't agree with this idea, but I do think at a baseline level those communities are for them. They would often say it's for God. I'm like, no, 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 it's it's for you. Um, these are communities that were built for people to commune with a God, right? So I, let's not, mm. let's not go full self-effacing and pretend like it's all for, it's all for the glory of God. Like let's just, mm. um, uh, those communities are for you and that I think it's incumbent upon you as a ordinary everyday churchgoer to go, if this is a reflection of us as a community, mm. is this the right way to be doing this? Is this mm. our relationship with money coercive? Is our relationship with, you know, volunteering coercive? Like I think, I think it's, I want to say those communities are designed for humans, right? So mm. it's okay for humans to ask questions yeah. of how they're organized. Yeah. Like this is like this is pretty yeah, basic yeah. stuff, right? But I also, I mean, that was my experience. That was my kind of, you know, in the lead up to releasing it. The thing I have discovered, well, and this won't be news to you two at all, right? Is the sheer number of people like us that, you know, mm. kind of were in youth groups growing up and then sort of yep. ad, ad, found a pivot point out and that haven't found a way to talk about it, mm. I've been mm. thoroughly overwhelmed 
Like I've made, been, I've been making TV and radio since I was 20, right? I'm, I'm, I've been mm. on television and radio in Australia for most, my entire adult life pretty much. I've had shows that were, you know, rated bigger and had more audiences, right? But I've never, ever had a project where this many people have come out of the woodwork and mm. wanted to share their own experience. And mm. that has been really eye-opening because, mm. like, I woke up on Saturday morning and I had 400 messages, <laughs> you know, between yeah. emails and DMs and I was like, this is... Which uh, doesn't surprise us at all. No, it gone- wouldn't su- <laughs> no, it wouldn't surprise you in the, no. in the least. But for me, it was like... Shit. Yep. <laughs> like, Great. and mm. I, you know, mm. I generally have a rule of like try and respond to everybody. And that one, I was like, it's going to take a while. I think in my mind, I'd mentally prepared that I was going to become a bit of a lightning rod for other people's experiences. Cause I, I did a show about racism for the ABC a couple of years ago called mm. The School That Tried to End Racism. And I had a bit of that then where everybody just reached out and told me their experience of racism. But this is on a scale unlike anything. Um, it's, uh, and I, I also think what I've also found, the, the number one response I've got is from people who've had, that gray area experience where yeah. it's not mm. like mm. some terrible thing happened and um and like those stories certainly exist and I've gotten a few of them but actually what's more what I'm getting a lot of is like people who went through the coercive experience or people that felt like um they were burnt out or people that felt like they were faking it there's a lot of that because yeah. that's yeah. Like, mm. so that's been a really I think there's a lot of people who have unprocessed hard to define traumas mm. uh, and I, yeah. I think what we did I think provide uh, not by not through some elaborate form of planning on minor releases part but what I do think we have found is that there's a lot of people out there that have been struggling to put into words their experience and I think the film actually has done that to a degree yeah. it has provided mm. a mm. a language for people to talk about and I just note that like it's sort of it's so it's taken on a slight word of mouth quality now because I can see the the streaming numbers and it's sort of like it's just quite cons- it's it's just quite consistent like it seems just to grow over time which tells me that people are talking about it and sharing it yeah. which is really interesting because normally mm. a TV mm. show like this is kind of pom goes up and then it kind of bottoms off this one seems to be a bit more like mm. um just a long arc so it's very unusual like of all the things I've ever made it's it's re- it's it's totally different in terms of how audiences are interacting with it it's yeah. very very strange mm. it's so interesting well, i think that may keep that may keep on happening as uh, particularly church insiders hear that it's a safe enough thing to watch and isn't just mm. a hit piece um and it has some nuance on it which is you know massive credit to you and elise and mm. dean to be able to pull that off yeah yeah and um look thanks so much for making it from from the perspective of the kind of work that we do like it's mm. i think we are kind. Of, we've kind of been cry, crying out in many respects for people to be doing like nuanced work in this space because I think it's it's like you're reflecting on it. it's so helpful for the people for whom it is complicated instead of like black and white this or that yeah. good or bad you know and I think um and I think that's good so thank thank you thanks for um chatting to us on the pod taking well, your well like time. I said it, it wouldn't exist without um without you really mm. like it just wouldn't so uh so I should be thanking you. <laughs> well, it's I'll, a round, I'll a round of thank my... yous to finish. Oh, oh, clap, 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 clap. I'll definitely miss my fortnightly chats with Elise. Um, yeah. she, she you can still wonderful. do them. She'll still answer. It's okay. Hmm. okay. Would anyone yep. like to finish yep. with a clap offering? No? It's <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, the tap and go cards will be, uh, machines will be coming around now. <laughs> exactly. You can download thank the you. app now. I mean, that's mm. the, that, that mm. has changed. I'll say that. Because I left before the age of tap and go and... There was still a bucket in my day. Oh yeah, no, the buckets are long gone. People can put can take things out of buckets. Mm. <laughs> Thanks, Mark.
Really appreciate See it. Thank you. Bye. Hey, so there you go. Mark Fennell chatting with Shane and I about the kingdom and about all things kind of Pentecostal megachurch life and the complexities therein. Uh, thanks as always to Reese and Michelle for taking the audio from these conversations and making them sound as good as possible, regardless of what standard and quality I give them to him. And uh, he's a miracle worker. Thank you, Reese. Uh, if you want to get in touch, you can feedback at in the shift.com. Until next time.